Seven minutes until showtime. Six minutes until showtime. Five minutes until showtime. Four minutes until showtime. Testing one, two, three. Testing one, two, three. Three minutes until showtime. Two minutes until showtime. One minute until showtime. Your show will go live in five seconds. Four, three, two, one. I was talking about you the other day. I didn't mention your name, but I was thinking about you when I said to him, and we were on the air, and he's from Texas, and I was like, dude, there's just two states that when I'm there, I just feel like, uh, stay out of these states. One of them is Florida, and one of them is Texas. And then he mentioned for him that it was Texas, where he lives, because he's from Houston and lives there now, born and raised, and Mississippi. And he was saying that when he's in Mississippi, it's so deep for him that he ends up taking it out on the people and he has to check himself and say, wait a minute, it's not the people, it's them spirits in Mississippi. And I hesitate to share this with you because I know you're from Mississippi. And so are my people. Like I'm named after my grandfather, whose people are from Mentor City, Mississippi. Like that's where they came from. Coming from Mississippi, I didn't experience racism per se. Maybe one incident I've been called a nigger. White boy called me a nigger, spit on me. And I've almost lost my mind in Catholic school. I was trying to beat him for life, but they got me. I was about to just lose my mind on him. That was one incident. But to me, that was isolated because at the same time, I was hanging out with all types of people from all walks of life. Most of my fundamental primary education. When I went to public school, it was more foreign for me. Then when I went to Baton Rouge to college, I walked into a store and was ignored. Not only did I notice it, but I called it out and addressed it. So when you grew so, up in Vicksburg, grade school, junior high, high school, are you going to school with all black people or is it integrated? No, I'm going to school with mostly white people. With mostly I'm white people. Minority. Okay. You're the minority. Okay. I went to a Catholic school. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't have the references even that some of my now high school classmates have in terms of the bond that they have right. with each other. Many of them walked to school together. Right. They And they later on got on buses together. I didn't. If you look at it, I guess I had a silver spoon in my mouth in many ways because I was transported to school through family members. Right. Or I was staying at a family member's house so that I could go to the Catholic school once we moved out in the suburbs outside of the jurisdiction. Happy being alive, love those positive vibes. With a man who don't mind taking a chance, it's Robert. Wesley Branch Be well, be encouraged Be inspired Every day Hey, hey, yay Be well, be encouraged Be inspired Every day Hey, hey It's the Robert Wesley Branch Show Ms. Latanya Taylor You know, it's funny for me Because you know You can start like 15 minutes before you're supposed to go on, right? And when I had co-hosts, I don't have co-hosts anymore. I think the last co-host this show I did was with you in 2019. I think that's the last time I had co-hosts. Oh, wow. Yep. I think you were the last one we did as a co-host group. And Maisha's has since passed away. So that was 
sort of the end of an era right there but so we have 15 minutes before we can start so we all get on the chat and try to organize ourselves because usually traditionally back in the day when I first started nobody knew what we were going to talk about like they didn't know I knew I had planned the whole week and the whole show but they didn't really know so we they would find out like 15 minutes before we were going to start and today you and I don't really know what we're going to talk about we say we're just going to see where the spirits are and see where they take us I like that okay yeah okay cool do you have a jump off question because I do have a jump off question or do you just you just doing total rhema I'm on total rhema so alright so let me go here then because I'm curious about this with you you've been here this is the third time we've gotten together in this space the first time was in November 2019 we were talking about your book My Juicy Rebirth which I have right here in front of me then a year later December 2020 you were here with Brother Breedlove and we were talking that day we're averaging about one of these conversations a year so okay <laughs> yeah so this is gonna last us if, if, it, if we don't do it again for another year this is gonna be what this year was for us until i have you on yes yeah oh you know i'm i'm so down with that all yeses on this end so no worries i'm curious because i look at you and my experience with you is about four years old now we've known each other for about four years so we're still getting to know one another And you're one of the people in my life that I do not consider a traditionalist when it comes to spirituality. I grew up with a lot of traditionalists. And when you were here, you were telling us about your journey, going to Catholic school as a young girl and then growing up into uh, Muslim faith and now just being sort of syncretic, sort of putting things together and rooting in a different tradition. I'm curious as a non-traditionalist, if you even see yourself as a non-traditionalist, I see you as a non-traditionalist. How do you use, because I've seen you do it and I hear you do it. I'm just curious if there's some philosophy or theology behind it. How do you use the Bible now as a spiritual seeker on your journey? Oh, I love that question. I don't consider myself a traditionalist, although I have come through very, you know, typical traditions that most people have come through. And I see the Bible now as a book of codes. Mm -hmm. And I now understand that the Bible reveals itself to you at your level of consciousness. And so when I look at my own journey, how I understood the Bible is when I was a child, I spoke as a child. And so I literally can see the Bible in that way through the phases of my understanding. And it's still revealing things to me through astrology, through numbers. It is a book of codes. It's a book of medicine. It's a a blueprint for wealth, the way that the Bible does family in terms of inheritance and, Mm -hmm. and through land and cattle and those types of things. Those things really are foundational even right now. Um, We just have gotten so far away from it, and we don't have an understanding of what marriage really is, which is a a contract. You know, whereas it used to be a contract between families, it became a contract with the state because we are considered wards of the state. Yeah, you raise a fascinating study to me, and that is the marriage contract prior to the state involvement. That is fascinating. It was land and mm-hmm. possessions mm-hmm. there was no state no rulers it was about these families and the agreements that they made in the contracts is the perfect word that they made with one another 
prior to the state involvement, families dealt with that. And even now in certain African societies, that dowry is real. Those families come together and look that over very closely. What is this man offering? Right. In a lot of our traditional cultures, especially Africa, those men still have to present. They have to first be approved of by the oldest brother before you can even meet the father. Mm -hmm. You have to be approved of by an, an elder. And that might be an older brother. It might be an aunt. And you have to present an, a dowry. And then the dowry has to be acceptable mm -hmm. before in a meeting with the family. Mm -hmm. Like, so you're absolutely right. Yeah. So that takes us right back to what you said about codes. The Bible is a book of codes, which I totally see mm -hmm. and experience it that way, too. It's a big cipher. You did say something that is fascinatingly true and profound and powerful. The Bible reveals itself to you at your own level of consciousness. That's truth right there. The Bible reveals itself to you at your own level of consciousness. So if you bring a teacup to the ocean, it'll fill it. If you bring a bucket, that's right. it'll fill it. If you back a dump truck up to the ocean, it'll fill it. Whatever you bring, it will fill. And I see that yes. in what you said, the Bible reveals itself to you at your own level of consciousness, digging deeper in that space. So does that mean, and this is a question, that you see Jesus as having walked the earth as a historical person or Moses having walked the earth or any of the prophets having walked the earth as physical people? Because we don't have any of those bodies. We got King Tut, but we don't have Paul. Historical figures, we do not have physical proof of them. So how do you work with that in your consciousness as you work with the Bible? Well, that's a very good question because had you asked me that question as a new metaphysician, I would have answered yes. I see I've seen him as a Nazarene who we consider our elder brother in terms of history. But as I have gone on to study more of ancient Kemet and understand that those stories have been borrowed by Western culture and exaggerated that there was no actual Jesus story with Horus. So I believe there was a Nazarene. I don't know that he was called Jesus, you know, with the way that that story has been positioned, told, exaggerated. But I do believe in Christ consciousness because I believe Christ consciousness begins in the cosmos mm -hmm. in the, and extends through different cultures and societies. I don't believe that there's one. So yeah, I think that was there a Moses and, and all of that? I do. I do think that there were these hysterical figures who are documented to have been influential during that time. Were their names exactly what we have been taught to call them? You know, that's debatable. And I study energy. Mm -hmm. As a metaphysician, okay, fine. We have Moses, we have Jesus, we have Aaron, we have these different roles. What do they represent in the metaphysical? then I look at the metaphysical representation of that particular energy. That's what has been, been my spiritual food and my translator to be able to sit down with anyone because once I understand energy and a universal law, then I'm able to continue to elevate beyond this physical density of stories because stories are subject to all types of data and verbal translations that have been missed, written translations that get omitted. Energy, though, just like we say, it never ceases, it never dies, and it continues to elevate and change form. Mm-hmm. You said a lot there. You said a mouthful. There's a brother named Bobby Hemet, and Bobby Hemet 
in his teaching sort of gave me a technique that works for me. And he said, read the Bible like all of those people and all of those stories are happening inside of you. I look at the energy of whatever the story is and see where it's happening or has happened or may be beginning to happen in me. That's how I've learned to read and use the Bible. I'm not married to the idea or the belief that Jesus Christ was a historical person who walked the earth. I'm not married to that. He may have been. Right. And some iteration like you described with some variation of that name, with some milestones in that story, that may have happened. Because thoughts are things, the energy that has gone into Christ and that story over thousands of years makes it very real energetically. Whether it's true or not is real. Just because of the energy that has gone into it, it has Mm -hmm. fed that mythology. So that is a power that you can get some effects and things from because energetically it's giving and receiving power from the people. All these years. Absolutely. All these years. Staying with that because there are traditional Christian people. It goes outside of the religious programming that was a part of many of our lives. And if you don't consciously grow and go beyond that, that will forever be your framework. Yang and I joke about this all the time because when I first met her 20 plus years ago, I was that traditionalist. So she would be talking to me about these things and I would be looking at her like putting garlic and crosses in my mind up between us. I would be like, I don't know what she talking about. I loved her, so it didn't matter. That is so surprising. Oh, yeah. And that's so interesting. It's so interesting to hear you say that because I do the same thing like when I'm talking to people and I'm translating and and, and I'm thinking they'll get it. But oh, no. I have to remember that there are people who are inside having the reaction that you are having. Yes. That you used to have. Yes. Yes. Can you describe that? What is what's going on in your mind when you hear someone for the first time talking like that? I first heard it before Iyanla. I heard it with Maisha, my co-host, because she introduced me to a lot of things before I even met Iyanla. But with Iyanla, when I first started hearing her talk about these things, this was a time when she, it was scandal around her with the traditional black church. And I, at that time, was uh, in the traditional oh, I black I church. I was so angry. Yep. I remember that. I was so angry. Yep. And so when I met her personally and started interacting with her, it was in a professional context in our personal time because it was both immediately. It was professional how we met and it was friends at the same time. Like we, our souls were just like locked. So we're doing this dual tracking. We're working together, but we're also getting to know each other on this totally different level. And she would be talking about these things and I wasn't receiving any of it. But what was new with her was I wasn't rejecting her because of it. That was my step out of that Christian mold. You're taught to if people aren't coming over, you reject them. You don't fellowship with them. But I didn't do her like that. I was like, "Mm, I don't really get what you're saying. I don't really feel that. I don't see that. I don't know nothing about that. But all right. You know, I just kept moving into deeper relationship with her. I wasn't judging her. And it was all just sort of going in. You know, I was doing my work on my end. And as the years would go by, it was just Maisha was still in my ear. Yana was in another ear. And it just I was having my own awakenings and things started happening. But I knew her for a good 10 years before I even had a spiritual awakening. It was pretty much that length of time that I would sort of hear a lot that she was talking about. But I never really received any of it as being true for me really appreciate you sharing oh that. it's true it wasn't until fix my life because that's around the time i started with them in 2013 i had a spiritual awakening 10 years ago this june it was the year before about nine months before i started working with her on fix my life is when i had my spiritual awakening so at the beginning of that look at that divine timing we were just right there like i was just there 
from the beginning of my experience with Fix My Life. And that's part of that magic. Like I needed all of that pre-work to happen in my life before Fix My Life could even operate on that level with the two of us. I will say my intention for coming on this show today was to be able to share with you another layer that I've never shared before or shared publicly mm -hmm. or, you know, that type of thing. And one of the things that directly connects to that intention is when I first started my journey, I was so naive because I had had my awakening. And you could not tell me I was not on the journey to awaken the world. Right. That was just my role to be an awakener mm -hmm. and to be a bridge builder because for a long time, I feel like I have been spiritually multilingual. Because I came through a traditional household, Baptist and Catholic, that right there made me bilingual. Right. No doubt about it. Half of my family was Baptist, half of my family was Catholic. Bilingual. We coexisted. We would be singing gospel songs, having church, and go right on to St. Mary's Catholic Church in Vicksburg, Mississippi. And then sometimes we would go and meet my mom at her church. I never went to church with my mother for years. I went to the Catholic Church and then met my mother at her church. So I would leave one energy and move right into another. So that's my life when I started off. Right. You know, and then later on, I studied Buddhism on a plane on a summer trip. Like, you know, your mom sends you off to catch a plane. Who knows that the other young lady of a couple of years older than me would be a Buddhist. My young self was curious. My interest was piqued. Before the flight ended, I think I knew the chant. Namiho Renge Kyo. Okay. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> And so I was intrigued and I got a chance to spend time with her in D.C. I would leave Mississippi and come to D.C. So this would be my journey. The world religions became a part of my journey, my spiritual travel. And so coming into the Nation of Islam, we studied both Bible and Quran. Mm -hmm. And so I've always been able to sit down before I even became a minister and exegete text and have a relationship and a conversation with God. I wanted everybody else to be able to have that experience. So when I really answered the call to ministry, I just knew that this was going to be what my role would be. Coming from my own healing process of abandonment and rejection, black sheep inner conversation, it was a big trigger for me. Right. <laughs> it was a huge trigger to be amongst Christians who were rejecting me but wasn't even courageous enough to just outright say that they were rejecting me. Mm -hmm. In 2012, we have been podcasting for two years prior to that. Then I had this awakening. I moved away from Bethesda in 2012, came here to the beach in April, had that awakening in June, and then everything was different. I'm start talking like this with my co-host and all I could hear was silence, Latanya. <laughs> just nobody was saying nothing. Which was similar to how I was when Iyama and Maisha was talking to me about it, right? I was in the same position you are. I'm going to save the world with this information. And over the years, I stayed true to it. And I've watched how slowly but surely as I've become more skilled at sharing with my co-hosts and the audience, the parallels. For example, you mentioned Horace earlier as it relates to Jesus and the borrowing of certain details. As I've become more skilled in showing the parallels without judgment, but saying, hey, that image of the Madonna and child that you've been looking at in the Catholic faith for so long, I can take you back 2000 years where that same image exists in Osset, 
Horus, Isis, if you want to use the Greek names, that existed way before. So it's not going to change a Christian mind, but it will at least open up something that they're not even aware of that's opening. That might even be stronger than their programming yeah. if they back it, okay? Because them soul codes, that's what a symbol does. That's what information does. It will wake up them codes. You mentioned the Bible is a book of codes. The purpose of those codes is to wake your ass up. If you go deep enough, it'll unlock stuff. It's to wake you up. It'll unlock and it will also break the spells that's been put on you mm. intentionally because I definitely see it as a book of spells. I mean, especially now as I work with energy and alchemy and mm. the more I move into my own spiritual gifts, I'm like, this is a spell. So when you're talking to people, they're under a spell yes, exactly. and they've been taught to <laughs> see you as an enemy. Exactly. That is the greatest spell ever. Ever. And I do believe that's why the word says study and show that self-approved because there's nothing like being able to break the spell off of yourself because when somebody else does it, then another one can be put back on you. That's but it's right. hard when you break a spell off of yourself for somebody to come put another one on you. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, so let's go here. All right. I came up through the Christian tradition. I still identify as a Christian because my mother introduced me to deity through the Christian experience. So that's where I learned everything I know and subsequently unlearned a lot of it, but that's why I still identify as a Christian. And yet I can elevate outside of the corners of that Bible and the corners of that theology and elevate to a cosmic citizen and not have conflict with my Christianity. I don't consider myself a member of the Christian church. I do identify with Jesus, although I'm not wed to Jesus being a historical figure. I do see and Jesus. So do I. Yeah. And I don't deny Christ. Like I don't say Christ never existed for all the reasons we just talked about. Oh, energetically, Christ is very real, very real energetically. So some of us can elevate above the Christian experience if we were raised Christian or above the Catholic experience if we were raised Catholic. Whatever tradition you were raised in, some of us can rise above the tradition of that, the orthodoxy, if you will. And you can even see this in the Christian history. And when you do, that's that's why there were so many different sects, S-E-C-T-S, -E of Christianity. Because people will rise above specific orthodoxy and have their own beliefs about what this Christ is and was. Whoever has the power will demonize the people who rise above. Anybody who's operating with a level of universal knowledge, they're going to demonize it. They're going to call it bad. So if astrology is demonic, ideas of Vodun or hoodoo or a Santeria or any other spiritual traditions that are outside of the Christian traditional framework will be demonized as well as the practices that sometimes go along with them like divination, et cetera, et cetera. So if you're somebody who's rooted in the Christian tradition and can rise above that and accept those other things as tools and spirits, you will automatically be demonized in the Christian religion. Because I had such an awakening so soon and I traveled the road less traveled so early in my life that I was always the weird one to a degree in whatever circle I was in. When you awakened, did you go back to Iyama to say, I'm open now, I'm ready now, I see it now? Did you did you do any type of acknowledgement? Not as a formal, I'm woke now, let me call her and just say I get it. No, nothing like that. I don't even mm -hmm. know that we specifically talked about my having an awakening or anything like that. At that time, because this was 10 years ago, this is before Fix My Life. For me, she had just started it when I had this awakening. Look, just look at the divine timing on this. She had just started shooting it. And I moved here, had this awakening, 
in June. I started with Fix My Life six months later in January of 2013. So she was shooting her first season when I was having this awakening. So when she would call me and ask me certain things about the script, because I still worked on Fix My Life for the first season. I just wasn't officially on board. I was one of whatever panel she was putting together to get feedback on what she was doing. So in the feedback that I started giving her, that's when she noticed the difference in some of the things I was saying. And then we would have these conversations. Yeah, yeah, I get that now. I see that now in a way. And then I would go off on one of these diatribes. And when I would finish, she would go, wow, you do realize that this is something that, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? She would be doing a lot of the acknowledging. Like it became very obvious in our work conversations, the healing modalities we were suggesting and that I was rejecting a lot of these traditional Christian things that she was trying to do. Because at that time, my experience with traditional Christians in a Yama is that there is a side eye for a lot of traditionalists with her. There's a side eye in my experience of this where I sit and watch this. There are a lot of people who traditionalist Christians who see the value in what she does and love her for what she does and are entertained by what she does. Would they invite her to the church to speak? Would they invite her to home for dinner? I don't know. Would they bring her around their other Christian friends? I've seen side eyes. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? I've seen side eyes. What Iyama gives off energetically is unlocking codes and demystifying these ciphers. She's feeding them on a level that they're not getting from their Christian faith. And they don't even know it. It's fire shut up in my bones. I don't even have to be deep about this. If she can put that fire in there. That's a gift. You do it when you preach and minister and are in your gift. People get that fire shut up in their bones. Something happens in them. That's what happens when we do our gift. And so she has that. But I think a lot of people have a wall between them and her because of what they perceive and they don't really know. Because if you're not in her inner tradition, you don't really know what her spiritual practice is. I don't even know what it really is. They only know names. (laughs) They only know Yoruba. That's all they know. If they know that much. Yeah. That's why when we went to Ferguson, we were as producers trying to figure out what are we going to do when we get there? We knew we needed to be there, but what are we going to do? So the Harpo producers at that time who had all worked on the Oprah show, they're all pitching their things of she can do this and she can do that and she can do this. We went through a lot of that. She can do this and she can do that and she can go here and she can go this. They're putting a talk show together. See, we knew we weren't doing a talk show. We knew Ayala and I knew that we were not going to go down that route again. That's what she was doing on her national show that got canceled after one season. This is not a talk show. This is talk therapy. That's different. So our conversation was always how do we produce this so that it's not a talk show. She gives people what they need. And yet... I know a lot of those black folks, they might not be the same group of people that you know in her audience, but I know other people in her audience that still keep a bit of a side eye to her because they don't know where she is. This is where I was going with Ferguson. We were trying to figure out what we were going to do. Sorry about that. When you get 55, this kind of shit happens. You lose your point. When we got down to Ferguson, <laughs> the producers were pitching stuff that they wanted us to do. And Ayala and I were like, we don't want to do that. I said to Ayala in front of everybody, I said, what would you do if this family came to you at Inner Visions? What would you do? She said, I'd light a candle, I'd pour libations, and I'd say a prayer at his gravesite. I said, that's what we're going to do. We're doing that right there. Be authentic. Do you. Do what it is that you do. That's what I would do in those meetings early on. Once they saw that we were together and we weren't doing television because Ayala and I were establishing right at the beginning. We're not doing television. We're not doing a talk show. We're doing a healing process here. So what Mm -hmm. would you do? And when she lit that candle and said that prayer, Chinaza was standing right next to her. The next day in the social comments, look at that witch. 
I hope y'all realize what y'all saw. You saw a witch doing a ritual at Mike Brown's site. Y'all beware this witch. That's the audience that I'm talking about. That still gives her a side eye because they're not quite sure and they can't receive through their Christian programming, most of them. Because I find the conscious brothers and sisters don't have no problem with none of that. The ones that I know. You know what? And it's a generation too. Remember the show that we did on generations? Yeah. I still teach from that show. I was tweeting about that show and I can see that being a part of my work today because that generation that she comes from was exactly like that. And then you have my generation, more of a Gen Xer that is curious enough to be like you were. I hear you. I'm not messing with it, but I don't have to reject you. I would say that would be Gen X. And then now you have these millennials who they are not with any of that traditional stuff. Exactly. I love it. All of it. And now you have the Gen Y who are asking why. Well, why do I have to do that? Why? Why Jesus? Why? why, Who said I had to be Christian? Like they're coming with it. So I really think what you just highlighted is also generational when we look at the level of how long spells wear off. So what I'm saying, Brother Robert, I think that the spell impacts us not just when it comes to our soul care, but it affects us when it comes to our economic development and how we're able to move. That cognitive dissonance is something that is generational and it wears off, but it acts, like you said, the resistance. Like, yeah, I can hear you, but when we look at it and break it down in terms of generation, they couldn't even hear it. They couldn't even hear certain things when it came to soul care. Yeah. Yeah, you raised a key word. It's generational. And that really brings some focus to the conversation. And I must say, and I just believe it's true. And I'm really, really proud of that Yolanda Etheridge show is what you're referring to that we did on Generations. That's a masterclass. That show is a masterclass. It was broken down beautifully. The charts worked beautifully. The longer I'm in this business, there are certain things that rise to the top in terms of what you do. That show is one of them. It is really a great example of being able to teach and to entertain in the same show. You're right. These younger people do have a whole different experience when it comes to traditionalist Christian, for example, teachings. And I love it. I'm here for all of it. I'm here for every single bit of the evolution of that. I do want to center up on what you said, though, because I think it's really, really true and more germane to what I would like to happen in this conversation. Spells have longevity. That's true. And so... The spell that is on me and my thinking and experience and on on all of those people prior to their awakening to these higher realities, that spell can last generations if you don't wake that up in yourself. The priesthood has to raise priests. And the same way that the dowry, we see the dowry still present in present day system, the same is true for those who still practice traditional religions. The baby is read before the baby comes, what you're going to have, the priests, the medicine men already know what you're carrying. So they tell you there's a recommendation, not just the name of what that baby is supposed to be, but how you're supposed to raise that child. Mm -hmm. And so there are babies that are born in, particularly in Santeria, New Yorba and Vadun and that type of thing, where the baby comes out and they get initiated as priests, Robert, Mm -hmm. to save their life. We sing it even in the church. Somebody prayed for me. My grandmother prayed for me. You got to know that somewhere somebody prayed a prayer 
made a sacrifice for you to come through the bloodline. It could be your ancient bloodline, a royal priesthood that is in your genealogy that absolutely set the stage for you to come forth. Okay, so let's stay right there. I think that's a beautiful place to go even deeper. When you begin to study, so after the awakening and I've got that download, it calls you into study. So I wanted to study this. I wanted to study that. I wanted to study angels. I wanted to study numerology. I wanted to study all these modalities. I wanted to learn about astrology. I wanted to get my natal chart done. I wanted me everything was all just there. Like do it. So you set about a course of study of doing it. Get the natal chart done. Study every mm-hmm. aspect of it. My natal chart was like maybe seven pages when I got it. It's like almost a hundred pages now. But that ninety three edition is study mm-hmm. that I've done and added to it and mm-hmm. lived a little bit and added some experience in there and changed a little bit of this language and mm-hmm. moved into this. So it's an organic thing, this soul that you're growing, these lessons that you're learning, and you begin to grow and understand this knowledge and it brings power and it adds to eventually the senses that you were socialized into, the five senses that you know about. It adds a level of intuition. It adds clear audience where I can hear things before they're actually set out your mouth. These other powers come with this study and really coming into deeper understanding and knowledge of yourself. I find that if you're skillful enough, you can use the Bible to make the correlations of what you're experiencing and some of the symbols and things as you talked about the Bible being a book of codes, when you're of consciousness and you see it that way, taking that knowledge and trying to bring it back to people who, let's just stay in the family, are not studying in that way and don't know these things. And the times when I've done that, I can see my family members looking at me like the same way I was looking at Iyama. They love me. They're going to always ride with me. But this stuff right here that I'm talking about, I don't know. And I get it. Like, I totally get it. At the same time, I don't want to not be authentic with that. I want mm-hmm. her to I want her to know what she has raised. I want her to see as much of mm-hmm. me as she can. I'm not going to hold that back because I think she can't relate to it. I want her to see it mm-hmm. and all of what mm-hmm. it is. I want the whole family to see it and all of what it is. I'm not going to hide that from them. My mother, with her being an elder in her 80s, she still doesn't fully understand everything I do the depths of it right and so one day i put on my youtube channel and she was like wait a minute that's you i was like yeah mom that's my youtube channel go back to that like oh okay so i put on a couple of videos i have a video clip of my mother watching me Uh (laughs) it was so emotional for me because i was watching her almost like see me Mm -hmm. be introduced me. She did not want me to turn it off. She was receiving the teaching of whatever I was doing that day. She said, Lord, have mercy. I did not know my child had all this in her. Mm -hmm. Lord, have mercy. I didn't know you could even talk this much. Lord, have mercy. And she cried. Mm -hmm. Trying to tell it without breaking myself in terms of my story and my experience with my mother that was priceless a priceless moment and i'm glad i had the presence of mind to get out the camera she literally folded her arms leaned back now she's like well how can i get this now are you willing to dig deep 
into this beautiful moment that you shared. I'm going to go and you tell me when to come back, okay? I'm just going to push. I'm open. Okay, and you mm-hmm. tell me tell me when enough is enough. Because I have been in that very moment with my mother and then pushed in the same area that I want to push with you in. Because I have even said to my mother after showing her myself the way that you showed your mother yourself, I came back with a question, which is, why did you think you didn't know all of this? Like, where have you been when all of this has been happening? So I guess I'm asking you, where do you think your mother was when you were becoming everything that she saw on that tape? Checked out. I think my mom was checked out. And I do ask my mother those kind of questions, but I do it in small doses. Mm -hmm. Because I've learned that if I try to come at it head on, she needs to digest something. She needs to have a moment with what she heard because what she was watching was a teaching. And she's a Virgo too, so she studies, she's mercurial. So I get trickles of responses. I think sometimes she has to think about it or I have to do it sometimes in story format. Let her tell a story. Let her share a memory. That's what I've learned with my mother. Yeah, I would go back to what you said about generation and it being generational. I think we both know this from our work together and you know it from your life beyond our work together, at least in the Fix My Life space, in this work that we have done so beautifully together. My mother comes, is 87. She comes from the silent generation. So I understand when I tell her these things and show her these things that she's filtering that through imagery and a reality that I know nothing about. Take that back to the 40s and 50s and what you see on television with Leave it to Beaver and the women wearing pearls and dresses and cleaning houses and the black women being maids and being secretaries and school teachers is all they were allowed to be. All of this stuff that I'm giving her is being filtered through. That was what her reality was growing up. So it's incumbent upon me as a son to have some spiritual maturity and understand that. That's how she's processing that through that filter. Yeah, I agree. I think we do have to look at the context of their experience. My mother was raised in the Delta of Mississippi, Mm -hmm. that whole Emmett Till era. It's difficult to even get my mother to talk about where she was during civil rights. I mean, we've had those conversations. So the level of shutdown, the stories are there, but they're buried. They are so buried within our people. And I remember having a conversation with a young lady who was a little younger than me. She didn't even know that the reason why her father was so shut down to the South was because of an incident that happened in the Delta of Mississippi where he was made to walk from one city to another and what that did to him and the fear that he had as a little boy navigating his way back home. But he never told that story, like you said, in terms of the silent generation. The post-traumatic slavery syndrome is real in terms of erasing the best parts of us and our stories because they had to be in survival mode. I see my mom as a vortex, right? You said you want to go deeper. You know, when we talk about the womb and the mother, and because my mother has also been such a place of hurt for me, it's been a place of healing for me. And so when I talk to her, I feel like I'm talking through her now. I want whatever's in her to be deposited in me because I see her as a vortex Mm -hmm. of something greater, of something else. Is your mom a traditional Christian? Yes, but, you know, the funny thing is, as traditional as my mother is, she has been the chief supporter. Anytime I have gone to study, when I left traditional 
religion and went into the nation. My mother came with me to the very first meeting. She would come to anything that I invited her to. So she had enough curiosity Mm -hmm. to at least show up with me, even if she didn't understand it. And I do think that that has to do with the fact that she's a Virgo and that's part of learning. But my dad did too. I see my mom as a vortex, but my father, we had a ritual where every Sunday morning was our talk time, early in the morning, because you know I get up early. Mm -hmm. And so I would talk to my dad and he, oh my goodness, the things I know now, oh my God, I would love to be able to enter into a cipher with my dad because that man was a studier. He was really the one who was going to investigate the whys, the how-to-fors, the history, and then come back and advocate for it because he was into law and politics and how that affected our rights in terms of black people. My father was a real advocate and was very vocal. So when I look past my childhood mind, both of them were with me on this journey. Mm-hmm. That's a new story for me to be able to embrace because for years I felt like a motherless and a fatherless child. And I believe that story. But my dad, oh my God. My dad came to the meetings with me when I was in the nation. But why did you feel like a motherless and fatherless child? Because my mom was also so rough around the edges. She wasn't a nurturer. And I always was with somebody else because she was working. So when they divorced, I just got shuffled around a lot. And I just didn't have a strong connection with her. And my dad, when he left, He was just emotionally unavailable when they divorced for a long period of time. We bonded after college. When I started my spiritual journey is when I became closer with my dad, particularly in the Nation of Islam. We began to talk and share ideas and thoughts about the Bible, about our people. It wasn't until as a, a woman that I began to shift that story because my mother was just so rough, so verbally abusive for a sensitive soul like me. Right. I didn't feel that connection with her. I wanted to get away from her because she just hurt me all the time, it felt like, particularly because I looked so much like my dad. And according to her, I acted like him. She used every opportunity to tell me. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Divorce is hard on families. The reason why I raised that brother from Texas talking about the states we were staying out of, because in that conversation with him, he was sharing about father absence in his life. His mother was the other woman and had him and his sister. And so his father had parallel families within 10, 20 minutes of each other, married to the one. And he was the side family, if you will. And I asked him, Mm -hmm. which is leading to the question that I want to ask you, because you did mention after your father left and your parents were divorced. I asked him and we talked about what became of his mother after she completely let go of his father who was married. What became of her Mm -hmm. life? Did she go on and marry herself? And he said she did not. And she's 71 and she still has not been married and found that man who will commit to her like that. And we were talking about what becomes, particularly in that era, when we go back to generationally, what became of those women like that? So when your mother and father divorced, what became of your mother's life and how was she able to move forward in her woman's story? My mother, she moved on. Um, That's why I'd say I come from, when I write in my book, I come from a clan of goddesses. 
they were spicy dicey and she'll tell you now if she's She's like, if I had these good knees, I would have me a man in a state here and a state there. And my mother was heartbroken, though. Uh She was heartbroken. She loved my father. And to this day, you could hear the regret Mm -hmm. of their marriage not working. She respected my father. And it was difficult for her to respect any man afterwards. She ended up in a relationship that she's been in for, I guess, 30 years now since my father. But she never had the same respect for him that she has for my father. So my mom moved on. She definitely moved on, but she was distraught. I went through that period and she says now, she said, I did not know anything about therapy. My generation didn't know. She said, had I known what I know now, I would have put us all in therapy. Your sister, you and me, we all needed to be. She was distraught behind my father for a long time so she would go out and party and come home sometimes she would put on the blues and drink her beers and sit and just cry and that's how i know some of the music and it's because for a long time she would that would be her way of releasing and clearing until she found her groove Mm -hmm. so she got her groove back when Mm -hmm. she got her groove back it was like your loss so when you, I'm just staying on the same thread, I'm going to keep pulling on it from every different direction. When you find yourself interacting with somebody, and they may or may not be aware of this, but essentially they're fighting their Christian programming to be free. Mm-hmm. They're trying to get free. And you can see that it's mm-hmm. this construct mm-hmm. that they're operating within that's actually limiting what they really want. Absolutely. What do you see as the effect that traditional Christian programming is having on black people oh my goodness think about it this way robert three times more potent than an addict to heroin Mm -hmm. the addiction level if you think about what you or any friend that you know that was addicted to drugs that is what you would equate it to so you're saying that's the impact that religion has had on our people. It is an addiction, and even when they know they're addicted, and they know that the drug isn't good for them, but they go back to it unless they have a sponsor, unless they go to the meeting, unless or they have some big awakening because it is that addictive. Okay, let's keep digging right there where it's addictive. And it's addictive because what is the effect that the Christian program is having on the people. So I think it's the effect that it has is, first, there's a level of disconnection, dishonesty, and disassociation. First of all, when you believe in a theology where you can't see yourself, you're always looking at a God outside of yourself, so you're not connected to the God in you. The effect is, I follow the rules. I do what I'm told to do. I believe that that the effect it has had on us is that we are high-functioning slaves. We are high-functioning slaves. We do what we're told to do, and we don't question. So if traditional Christian programming is an addiction and the masses of black folks are addicted to that, which I would agree with, I suspect that there are many people in the Christian program who don't even know that they're addicted to it, who don't even perceive it that way and perceive it as the truth. And because it's the truth, it's not an addiction. It's just they're choosing to believe the truth, that this is the truth. And the only truth. And that's it. 
So I'm not saying that any of us possess the truth. I think all of us have aspects of the truth because when we look at Bible as a code, it doesn't mean that the Bible is false. For years, I used to think that it was just false. I didn't want to have anything to do with it. Same way I didn't want to have anything to do with religion. Like you said, it's an organic process. Maybe my mind could not have handled all of it, and I would have rejected it had I known some of the origins as well. Right, I get that. I totally get that. I'm always fascinated by the brothers and sisters who grew up, and I think Iyama's in this category. You know, they always grew up in a conscious household. They were taught black history, black politics, black liberation theology, and so they grew up sort of conscious. You know, I didn't grow up in a house like that. Yeah. You know, my parents weren't conscious like Mm -hmm. that. They were there at the March on Washington because, you know, we lived in Washington, so, you know, they've been present during historic events. I wouldn't say my father was falling in with Huey Newton and them, though. The way I see this is religion. I don't see this just in terms of Christianity, although we have been talking about Christianity. I see this behavior present for Christians, Muslims, Jews, African traditional religion, folks too. This all applies to people who have been taught and raised by dogma. Some Christians could listen to this and feel beat up on, judged, or put off by this. And I'm not saying that this is a Christian phenomenon. I'm saying that the three major religions have done a number on us. The first place that we have to begin is judgment, fear and judgment is to look at what you fear. I want to just get right down into some specific nitty gritty here. And that is about spells. Okay. Because to me, part of the addiction in the Christian faith, and I keep going back to that because that's where I came up in and that's where I know specifically what I'm talking about without conjecture. I want to get to specifically the addiction that is the Christian program. And part of it is a spell. And we've been talking about spells. And the spell to me is because it's personality based. It has you looking to a leader and the messenger instead of the message. And if people would ground in the messages, which are timeless throughout generations, and frankly, the messages have come through different avatars, Krishna, Buddha, you know, Zoroastrianism. It's just timeless, universal, cosmic wisdom and spiritual law, as basic as gravity. All these principles with Christians, that program is such a spell because they're only reading the Bible. So the Apocrypha is off limits to them. Any book that is not sanctioned from the Catholic Church is off limits to them. They're following this dogma of demonology. That's control. That's the control of the Catholic Church. Until Christians read beyond the Bible. Use the Bible as your main reading if that's where you want to stay. But read the Apocrypha, get the book of Enoch, get all of these other books that were banned by the Catholic Church and read them, too. So if you could demystify the very thing that they're afraid of, I believe that that would break the spell. So anything you are afraid of, then you are going to move away from it. But what if you were able to take a second look at the thing that you are afraid of from another eye, listen with a different ear, and almost even look at at what's happening in your own life or what's happening in our community. And because if you look at what this fear does, it makes them very hypocritical and very vile in terms of the way that they handle other people who aren't like them, whether it be Christianity, Judaism, I used to think about that in the name of the things we do to one another, the wars that have been started in the name of religion. Mine is better than yours. I think that could stop the addiction right there. If we would just investigate 
the fears a little bit more. And you say it's through reading. For some people, it may be a conversation. For other people, it may be traveling abroad uh, and and experiencing other cultures. And tell me you don't feel God. Did you feel God's presence in that song, in that drum beat? Okay, can you just let that be for a moment without judging it as devil, demon, wrong, right, or any of that? I agree with you in terms of reading other things. But listen, there are people who go to theological seminaries and they read other things and they know better, but they don't teach those other things in the pulpit. And I'm telling you as a preacher, as a minister, that there are ministers who know this high level truth. There are ministers who study these other things, but they do not teach it because they don't want to lose their pension. They don't want to lose the salary which makes this a business. It's a business to be able to control your mind. Yeah, I totally understand that. I think that religion has a good purpose for a human being. If you're a human being and you're born into a family, nine times out of 10, you're going to get handed whatever that family's tradition is. If it's Christian, if it's Buddha, if it's Judaism, whatever it is, that's what you're going to be handed. In your case, you were handed a couple of things, Catholicism, (laughs) Baptist tradition. You have some choices, but generally the purpose of religion is to introduce you to deity through mythology, whatever that mythology is. And that's a good, noble purpose. And you need it as a human being to be introduced to the idea that there's something bigger than yourself as a human being. That's important. How you choose to go Mm -hmm. further deeper into that institution of that particular religion, that's on you. Because the deeper you go, the more indoctrinated you become, just like going through the educational system. That's not education. A lot of it is indoctrination. The deeper you go into these religions, you're going to get indoctrinated. And you're going to produce exactly what you're indoctrinated to produce. There's something that opens up in some of us, because I wasn't indoctrinated. I was indoctrinated when I met Ayanna. But there's something in some of us, and it's the high calling, I think. It's the high calling of God in us that brings us through these systems, but up and out of them beyond where many of our contemporaries will go. They're not going to rise above and around those four corners of whatever that doctrine is. Some of us do. So I'm saying that that addiction, it's saving their lives in their consciousness. They need it. They need the pastor. It ain't about reading the Bible for them or going deeper into the history and understanding Christianity and its origins. And they're not interested in any of that. What that pastor yes, says to yes. them on Sunday, they need to hear those words and to feel that encouragement and whatever line or two he or she pulls out of the Bible. They need that. And it's helping them to sustain their lives. I get that. They're not interested about Horace who came before Jesus. And there were many other saviors. I think there's a book called The Six. Crucified Saviors by Kersey Graves, who tells you of all the other mythology stories prior to Jesus where the same thing basically happened. They don't care about that. Mm-hmm. I might know mm-hmm. it and they might look at me when I talk about it and go, why do you even need to know that? Like, what is that doing for you? What does having that knowledge mm-hmm. do mm-hmm. for you? And what it does for you, it lifts you up above this consciousness. It lifts you up above this collective consciousness that stays at this level of understanding. That's what it does for you. It awakens you to broader realities. We still have to live with them. They still have to live with us. We have to coexist. People who are in that matrix and people who are not. Remember, we started this conversation saying I wanted everybody to awaken. But I have since learned that that's not everybody's destiny to awaken in this particular lifetime. And that, too, has been freedom for me is to let people be because those who are intended to awaken and break those spells, that's a special group of people 
And so there is the one in every family and in every bloodline. I believe I'm called to the one. I was the one for me, becoming the one for yourself. And when you look at the matrix, the matrix is built on ones and zeros. Even when we look at ancient mathematics, they did not do the number system the way we did it. They used ones. So when we even talk about one in terms of numerology, what the one is, the one mind, the one God, the one power, the oneness, the atonement. I do think, Robert, that everybody is not supposed to necessarily be awakened. Everybody has a role to play. That's right. There's always been an element that's called the elect in my framework who have this level of esoteric knowledge. They're the keepers of it. You can't share that with everybody. Everybody is not responsible enough to operate on this level. You're not judging them. There's always going to be Um, a remnant of us who hold this information. I call it the mystery school. Mm -hmm. There were always initiates at different levels of mystery schools, and even the mystery schools had their roles. Right. Why do you think certain people have a spiritual awakening that we've been talking about and other people do not? I don't know. If I do know, it would sound too nerdy in terms of my answer around calcification of the brain. I do think it is a calling, but I do think that there is a calcification of our brain and our mind. And I don't think we're all supposed to wake up at the same time. That's another thing. Mm -hmm. I don't think that we are all supposed to wake up And that's why it takes generations. And so I think that we are awakening. So you think every individual person of the 7 billion of us that are on the planet, every individual has the opportunity to have a spiritual awakening. Do you believe that? No, I don't think that everybody has the opportunity. It says many are called. It didn't say all are called. Mm -hmm. It says many. It didn't say everybody. It's just many. Right. Yeah. I've heard this many times when you take the typical the average everyday crop of africans leaving the continent during the slave trade everything they went through from capture to sale in the new world most of them couldn't make it they died somewhere along that process it's only the strongest stock from africa that was sacrificed to america only the strongest of us survived that Mm -hmm. process and so the best of what the motherland has had to offer is what was deposited to america you know when you look at all that we've come through there's a spiritual heritage in the blood that is just more powerful and more knowledgeable than we are it holds a lot of memories and stuff and so i think the consciousness the potential is there in each of us because the blood is there in each of us so the potential is there there's so many other factors that weigh against whether that awakening will ever happen for you. That's what I would call the mystery. You talk about mystery schools. That's one of the mysteries I would throw in there. Why some people go to a high spiritual level and others do not. And many of the people at the high levels just to button this up. I think part of the Christian damage is, the addiction is, that you call those people witches and make that a bad thing. It's all these pagan practices that predate Christianity that become demonized. I think that's a spell. And that is a spell that the Christian program Mm -hmm. has put over people for generation after generation after generation, starting with the Catholic Church, for purposes of controlling the minds of the people. And that's the damage that Christianity Mm -hmm. does. That's the damage that it does to us because it demonizes all these other methodologies that many black American folks don't reintroduce themselves with again or find again until they do the history. Because a lot of these 
African symbols, which mean cosmic things, the early black folks who came over embedded them in the floorboards of churches and things like that before they were completely indoctrinated Mm -hmm. into American Christianity. So a lot of our discovery as black American people is going back to who we were pre-Christianity. And that's a journey that many of us never awaken to. It just never happens. Mm, Yeah, it's true. That's a great breakdown that you just described. I can meet Christians where they are. I understand it. I came through that system. What it does to you in the daily living of your life is not satisfying to a lot of people. It's just not satisfying what it does to you in the daily living and how you process your experiences through that Christian filter. People are doing that, have done it for generations, and I think find themselves needing, wanting more and are called to more. I agree. If you are addicted until the person acknowledges I'm an addict, I can't help myself just to first be able to acknowledge I'm not satisfied. Right. But I don't know what else. This is all I know. Exactly. Um, I am conflicted about this particular way of being. This doesn't sit right with me, but I've been afraid to question God. I'm afraid to be struck down. Just to be able to say that in a safe place mm-hmm. with no judgment now opens the space for new information to come to you and to come to you in a way that is not in your face or is going to scare you even more. I think that sometimes when we become zealous, and I had a zealous period in my life, we do go and attack. We become very zealous about our approach and it can be off-putting and make somebody look at you like you're crazy. But when you do it in a safe space to be able to hold what you believe and know that you have an option to investigate your limitations. Certain information doesn't just come to you. You have to go after it. You have to go after it. And if you don't go after certain things, these people we're talking about who don't wake up, if you don't go after certain things, sometimes it just doesn't happen for you. Yes, there are those times when it just drops in your lap and you're like, oh shit, I ain't never thought about that. But I'm talking about that awakening I had 10 years ago, Latanya, that didn't just come to me. That wasn't just a gift. Mm-mm. That had come after years right. of me seeking books and driving all the way across town to get this book from this spiritual bookstore. And I was seeking something. For years, mm-hmm. that opened up for me. Yes. We have many spells and many addictions. Yes. And just because we talked a lot about the religious one, there are others that have been set in place through our habits and through our ways that we respond to things. And so I believe that it's, this conversation is an opportunity not to be so such a much and look at anybody else who's addicted, but to really be able to listen to say, what am I addicted to? We can be addicted to love. We can be addicted to food. (laughs) And we can be addicted to work or achievement or appearances. Whatever the thing is, addictions are not just drug addictions or religious addictions. And so when a person makes a decision to be able to see themselves, that is the beginning of of even sending a signal to your own mind that I'm willing. I'm willing to see myself and see where this is for me. And one of the ways to be able to do that is to look at where you're triggered. If If you listen this long through the conversation, where were you triggered? And your triggers also help you to see your patterns of triggers or mm-hmm. the, your patterns of behavior. 
And so I think that that is the greatest place of investigation and freedom that's available for a person who's embarked on that journey to say, I'm willing to look at this. Mm -hmm. I'm willing to investigate this and do your own personal investigation of the truth. Do your own investigation of the truth. I appreciate that very much. I would like to end where we started, what you said. The Bible reveals itself to you at your own level of consciousness. Like, I think that's some true truth right there. The Bible reveals itself to you at Mm -hmm. your own level of consciousness and your definition, the Bible as a book of codes and a book of spells. Like, I think that's really, really true. And I'm grateful in my life that I've been tapped on the shoulder for whatever reason I may know not of to be a deep diver into the Bible and other spiritual texts. Like, I consider that a gift in my life. I really do. I know a lot of people aren't learners through the word, but that's a gift to have a spiritual awakening. I just encourage people who are listening. It may sound the craziest thing to you, a spiritual awakening, but I guarantee you, if you seek it, you will find it. If you knock on that door, it'll be opened unto you. If you ask, you will be given a spiritual awakening. And it's unlike anything you've ever experienced. Your life will look completely different on the other side. And so will people. Not everybody's going to make that shift with you, including your family. That's right. Yeah. And that, okay. that's one of the big, wide opening, wide awakening awarenesses for a seeker that we're really, no matter how much you love your people around you, we're all really on a solo journey. Okay. Yeah. 